This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Today, though, we're continuing our series called Unsung Heroes. So this year during Advent, we're looking at some of the, the characters in the birth story of Jesus that tend to get a little less attention. So again, if you think of these stars here above me, there's three that are slightly bigger than the others. And those three large ones, they, they, you maybe think of them as they're Mary wise men, the shepherds. I mean, the the ones that really figure prominently in the nativity scene that you have at your house, in the typical stories that we tell at Christmas. But this year, we're giving our attention to some of those smaller stars in the the constellation of the Jesus birth narrative. And so those those are things like last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit as one of the unsung heroes. Next week, we'll talk about Egypt as one of the unsung heroes of the birth story of Jesus. On Christmas Eve, we'll talk about the the innkeeper and his role in the process. But for this morning, we're going to talk about Joseph. Joseph is um, a name that we hear a lot during Christmas, Mary and Joseph, Joseph and Mary. Um, But we don't always pay a, a whole lot of attention to him or what he teaches us. And what we'll see today is Joseph models for us a lifestyle of obedience. He shows us how to obey God in the ordinary and how to obey God in the extraordinary. He shows us how to obey God uh, just in the the mundane details of life and also in life-altering moves and dramatic changes. And and that idea of obedience, I know, is not necessarily something that gets a lot of us real excited. Unless you're a parent and then you're kind of poking your kid of like, pay attention. Been telling you to obey me, you're going to do it. But, but mostly in our culture, we think of obedience as for children and dogs, right? And outside of that, I don't really want to be told what to do, and I don't want people telling me what to do. And you probably feel the same way. In fact, much of our adult life seems to be centered around how can I achieve enough to where people stop telling me what to do? And in a perfect world, how can I achieve enough to where not only are they not telling me what to do, but I get to tell them what to do? Right? And, and this is our whole structure. So when we come and we think of, hey, today we're going to learn what it means to obey, some of us, and myself included, we have an internal response of, uh, no thanks. I'll obey Jesus, but other than that, kind of, kind of leave me out of this. But what we'll see in Joseph's story is, yes, we want to obey Jesus, uh, but we also have to obey in just some other really ordinary, not quite as fun areas of life if we're going to participate in what God wants to accomplish in us and through us. So if you have a Bible, we will start in Matthew chapter 1 this morning. We're going to spend most of our time in Matthew chapter 1 and 2. We will kick over to Luke chapter 1 and 2 uh, for one little window he gives us into Joseph's story. But Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 is where we find Joseph being introduced to us. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." Now, it is, it's safe to say this was not on Joseph's five-year plan, right? As far as we know from the scriptures, Joseph is a righteous man. He lives in a small town of Nazareth. He has a, a career lined out for him where he's going to be a carpenter. He's in an early stage of life where, where honestly, I mean, Angie and I, we've got two boys that are teenagers, and if in their early 20s they're in a spot like Joseph is, I'm going to be thrilled. 
Because Joseph loved the Lord. He was righteous, which means he knew the laws, the requirements of the Lord, and he was trying to follow them to the best of his ability. Joseph had a career, and it seems like he was working that career, and Joseph was engaged to be married. He was on the path of becoming a respected pillar in his small town, and just his story being another story and generations of stories in his family of faithfulness to the Lord, hard work, faithfulness to his wife, and if God blessed, a large and growing family. I mean, that, isn't that what every dad wants for their son? Grow up, love Jesus, get a job, get married. Like, amen. That's what I want for my daughter. Hey, just find a man one day that loves Jesus, has a job, uh, will love you. And what else can you ask for, right? I mean, that they're tall and athletic. But other than that, what else would you possibly ask for? I don't, I don't really understand. So, so Joseph seems to kind of just, he's got it figured out. Until one day, and this is a part that, that none of the gospels tell us. They never tell us exactly how the conversation goes between Mary and Joseph. And now their engagement isn't like our engagement. It's like they've been dating. It was an arranged marriage. But at some point, word gets to Joseph, hey, your fiance is pregnant. Now, Joseph knows two things. He knows how babies are made, and he knows he didn't make that baby. <laughs> Right? And, and so it, it causes a little bit of crisis for him. But again, Joseph is a righteous man. Now, it seems likely that somewhere along the way, he heard the story either from Mary or from an intermediary of um, Joseph, Mary is pregnant, but don't worry and don't get mad. It's the Holy Spirit's baby. And I don't know about you. And I wish, like, this is where, you, you know, th there's all kinds of things in the scripture where I think, man, someday in heaven, I just want to ask, like, what happened in the silent space in between? <laughs> like, Joseph, when Mary said, it's cool, the Holy Spirit did this to me. <laughs> oh, and Joseph also, this baby is going to be the Messiah, the one who restores the throne of Israel, the one who, and I mean, just can you imagine his mind of like, you sweet, sweet girl, you have lost your mind. <laughs> Right? And, and so Joseph, again, he's a righteous man. So even as he goes about to follow the law of separating himself from Mary and deciding, well, okay, this didn't work, so I'll, I'll leave her, I'll find someone else, my path is still clear. In the middle of that, an angel shows up and affirms everything that Joseph has heard about Mary and says, no, 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 that baby is from the Holy Spirit. You are to take her as your wife. She is going to give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And in that moment, Joseph's whole life is interrupted. Right? And, and we continue to learn this as well. When Jesus shows up, he still interrupts your life. Typically, people come to Christ in, in one of two ways. I mean, I mean, there's others, but these are two of the most common. One is you're in a season of loss, a season of frustration, a season of hurt, of pain, maybe grieving the loss of someone you love, going through the darkness of addiction, uh, just having deep uh, a sense of unfulfillment, a lack of meaning. And in this kind of internal turmoil, Jesus shows up and reveals himself to you as your Savior. He comes as a light shining in the darkness. And in that space, you think, yes, this is what I want. This is what I've been praying for. And you embrace him and you're so thankful that he showed up. Other times, you're kind of like Joseph. Life is good. You're working your plan and your plan is working. You might have the job. You might have the relationship. You might know what the next five or 10 or 30 or 50 years look like. 
And you might be a 25-year-old and you've checked every box that's expected of you so far. You already know where you're going to retire in 30 years because you're going to do it early because you're going to take care of your money so well. Right? You've got it all lined out and everything is done and you're following in the path of your grandfather and your father. This is what your family always does and this is how your family always succeeds. And somewhere along that path, Jesus shows up and says, hey, I know that's what you think, but instead let's do this. And instead of that career path, let's go down this career path. And instead of that relationship, let's chase after this one. And instead of this kind of model for your life, let's embrace this model of life. And instead of living there, let's live here. And instead of taking this view of money, let's take that view of money. Instead of seeing your your gifts as a way to, to maximize your own impact, let's see how you can use them to impact the kingdom all around the world. And when Jesus shows up when life is good, sometimes it's a little more alarming. Because you think, I... On the one hand, Jesus, I got a lot of respect for you. And on the other hand, I kind of like my life right now. I like where I live. I like what I'm doing. I like the way people look at me. I like what they think about me. I like how I see the future going. And from what we can see in the scriptures, this is probably where Joseph would have been of life is good. But when Jesus shows up, Joseph is teaching us that he comes and he enters into our story to write his story. And what that requires from us is that we kind of turn over the pin and we say, okay, Lord, I had some plans, but I'm going to surrender these now to you because I know to come into your kingdom means I have to lay down my kingdom. I know to follow your path means I have to give up my path. And it doesn't mean that he's always coming to take everything away from you and try to make life miserable and awful and all of these sorts of things. He's just coming to invite you into a new way of life. And when Jesus shows up, we have the same two choices that Joseph had, obedience or disobedience. There's no middle ground. There's no compromise. There's no negotiation. There's no opportunity for us to say, well, Jesus, I'll do some of that, but not all of that. When he says, let's go, we either go or we stay. And Joseph models the the kind of response we want to have. Matthew chapter 1, verse 24. It says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. When Joseph wakes up, he does exactly what has been asked of him. He gives an immediate yes, and it's easy to read that and think, well, I would do the same thing. If an angel showed up and told me what to do, that's the kind of way I need God to speak to me. Right? Then I will obey, then I'll know clearly, then I'll follow him. And, and we admire Joseph's immediate obedience, but I don't want you to admire it so much that you fail to think about what it actually cost him. Dr. Craig Keener puts it this way, Joseph trusted God enough to obey him, yet such obedience was costly. Because Joseph married Mary, outsiders would assume that he had gotten Mary pregnant before the wedding. Joseph would remain an object of shame in a society dominated by the value of honor. This was a stressful way to begin a marriage. Joseph is willing to risk his reputation. He's willing to risk his future to obey what God has for him. And and what he's modeling for us is this idea of whatever path God has for me will always be better than the path I'm on. Because he's the one who sees the end from the beginning. Joseph has grown up steeped in the ideas of the Lord is his shepherd. He leads him and guides him. He protects him and preserves him. He's known since he was a child that the Lord leads me on right paths for his name's sake. 
And so he's learned from childhood and now is practicing in young adulthood this idea of if God speaks, my only job is to obey. I don't have to understand how it ends. I don't have to know if it's all going to make sense or not. And Joseph, he takes a step of obedience at immense personal cost. Again, he is known in his community before the arrival of Christ as a righteous man. Mary takes the same risk. She is known as a righteous and devout young woman. And together, they embark on this journey where for their entire life, people look at them with a side eye thinking, yeah, we know that Holy Spirit story you tell, but we think we know what really happened. Right? And, and maybe as Jesus starts to perform miracles, and maybe as his ministry starts to grow, there are some in their community who circle back to him, and they're like, hey, Mary, sorry about that. Clearly you knew some stuff we didn't. But it's also equally likely that there were those who never believed him. And Joseph has to decide, who does he care more about? Does he care more about what God thinks of him, or does he care more about what people think of him? And he just walks the path of obedience. And on the path of obedience, his reputation is smeared in his local community. On the path of obedience, there are probably people in his own family who think, you're a fool, you're throwing everything away. On the path of obedience, he has to lay down the thing that holds so many of us captive, and it's the judgments and thoughts of other people. And he just decides, I'm, I'm just going to obey. And so when God shows up in my life, when he shows up in your life, and he says, hey, I know this is where you thought you were going to go, but actually let's try this. In that space, our only option is obedience in the interruptions, just to say yes to Jesus. And just to trust that if he calls me onto a path, he does it because that path is better for me and that path is better for the world around me. Joseph was willing to risk the shame and humiliation of his family and his community for the sake of being part of a gospel story that not only do we still tell, but our lives are still changed by. As I was, was kind of working through this this week, it, it stopped just for a moment and had that thought of, what if Joseph said no? Have you ever thought about that? Sometimes it's, as you're reading through the scriptures, it's interesting to read some of those stories because there's men and women taking these massive leaps of faith, but just to stop on occasion and think, but what if they said no? What if the angel appears to Joseph and says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. You're going to have a son. You're going to name him Jesus, and she will, he will save his people from their sins. And Joseph said, sounds cool. No, thanks. There's another girl down the street. I'm just going gonna, gonna to go marry her instead, and we're going to have a baby a normal way, and I'm not going to tell that crazy story my whole life, and I'm not going to try to explain it to my righteous grandma, and I'm not going to, you know, what if, just what if he says no? So here's the thing. If, if Joseph says no, we're probably not telling his story this morning at all, except maybe as a cautionary tale. But, but here's the, the greater thing that, that kind of came to mind as I was thinking that. God chose Joseph because he knew Joseph would say yes. There really was almost zero risk of either Mary or Joseph saying, yeah, Lord, I'm not going to do that. Sounds cool, but no thanks. Pass that on to someone else. Not my blessing, right? They, they weren't going to do that. Why? Because Joseph was righteous. And to be righteous is to be obedient. 
And so he spent his whole life observing the law. He spent his whole life following the festivals, following the timelines and the dietary guidelines and what he wears and where he goes and who he interacts with. His whole life of righteousness and devout worship has been centered on obedience to the revealed will of God. And so God chooses Joseph because he knows this is a man that when I speak says yes. And it's a challenge for you and I today as well. Of we want to kind of move into this, this season where obedience just becomes a natural part of our life. Where God can look at us and say, I know I can speak to him. I know I can speak to her. I know I can call this community. I know I can call that family because they're righteous and devout. And I know they will say yes. When the angel shows up to Joseph, it's not the first time Joseph has said yes to the Lord. It's the most significant for sure, but it's not the first. And in fact, as you, as you keep reading Joseph's story, you see that he doesn't just obey in the extraordinary, but he also practices just ordinary obedience. So, so for this, we have to flip over to Luke chapter 2. Luke tells us the story of the birth of Christ this way. He says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also got up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, where he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. <clears throat> so here we find Joseph obeying again, but this time it's, it's ordinary obedience. There's no angelic visitation there's just a government decree. And, and think of the, the kind of the, the time of life that Joseph is living in. He is a, a devout Jewish person living in the promised land, the land of Israel. But the land of Israel is under Roman occupation. They have been invaded and they have been conquered. And now this conquering government sends out a decree for every person to go back to their ancestral hometown so they can be counted on the census. Now, Rome doesn't just want to know how many people they got. What they really want to know is how many people can we tax? So Joseph is sitting there. He's doing his job. He's trying to provide for his pregnant wife. He's trying to obey the Lord. And then he hears of this decree of, okay, now we got to pack up. I have to take my very pregnant wife on a 90-mile journey back to the hometown of my ancestors. And I have to do all of this to pay a tax to a government I hate to support causes I don't believe in. And what does Joseph do? He goes. Is there a more un-American response than Joseph's obedience here? I don't respect the governor. I don't respect the emperor. But he still goes. They want to, they want to know who I am. They want to know my name and where I live. They want to get in my business. Still he goes. They want to do all that so they can take my money, and still he goes. They're going to use my money in ungodly ways to, to further their ungodly agenda, and still he goes. Right? I mean, let's just be honest. None of us in the room, but some of our friends and family, they would have raked Joseph over the coals as a spineless coward who wouldn't stand up to his oppressors. They would have invited him to mask-burning parties and tried to help him set America free. They would have done all of these things and more. And yet, what does Joseph do? He just obeys. 
Why? Because he's, he's grown up not as a spineless coward, but he's grown up as a righteous and devout man. And he understands that he's called to live at peace with everyone as far as it depends on him. And he understands that God has called him to honor the emperor and to pray for him. And he understands that his responsibility, even when he doesn't like it, is to pay his taxes. And so he does all of this stuff he doesn't like that's very ordinary, very mundane, and honestly very annoying. And in doing so, he's teaching us a very simple but you know, slightly offensive principle of if we won't obey God in the ordinary, he'll rarely ask us to do the extraordinary. Now we're saying like, God bless me with a mountain of finances so I can further your kingdom. And he's like, hey, how about if we, let's just give and pay our taxes. Like, yeah, I'm not doing that. I'm free, founding fathers. But, you know, all of this kind of, all this nonsense that we get in on. And not just when it comes to the government, but it filters down. I mean, how many, we won't even ask you to raise your hands, but I know some of you work at jobs where you got policies and procedures that you think are absolute nonsense. What's Joseph's model for us? Obedience in the ordinary. You're a student. You got teachers trying to make you jump through the dumbest hoops in the world. Right? I was that student who would argue with every teacher of why I didn't need their particular subject to be a successful person in life. I'm sure they loved it when I left almost as they love to give me bad grades at times, right? But, but I was that kid of like, I, you know, I remember telling my, my Algebra two teacher my sophomore year of, yeah, I'm going to be a pastor. I am never going to need this. Like, it's, if it's cool with you, I'd rather just not work and you give me a C, and it's just life will be easier for everyone. And she would argue back with me, and I was adamant, and I was a terrible witness for Christ, and I embarrassed my family. And, you know, I did all of these things, but what was I doing? I, I was thinking, I, I'm, I'm ready to obey in the extraordinary, but this ordinary junk, you can have that. Take Algebra 2 and just leave it far away from me. For the record, I was right, okay? Uh, but I still had to do the work. And I know some of the math people, they're like, no, you're not. You use algebraic reasoning. Like, I Google it, okay? And we have a church treasure, and I use addition, subtraction, and multiplication, and sometimes division. And that's it. I can figure out what 65% capacity is for Christmas Eve tickets, because there's a percentage calculator online. Okay, none of that has anything to do with what we're talking about. But what is Joseph modeling? Just be obedient in the ordinary. Because here's what happens. Joseph turns to Mary. Mary, we got to go to Bethlehem. Joseph, I'm pregnant. I know you're pregnant. We got to go. Why do we have to go? The Romans said, I hate the Romans. I hate the Romans too, but we got to go. What are they going to do? They're going to count us and then they're going to take taxes from us. Joseph, we're poor. I know we're poor, but we still got to go. We got to go. We got to go. We got to go. So they load up. They make the trip. They get to Bethlehem. They show up. There's no place for them to stay. I mean, this is the, the nightmare trip. I didn't, and Mary is righteous and devout, but she had to have at least a moment of like, for real, Joseph? I tell you about all this? Like, come on, man, I'm pregnant. The baby's due. What are we doing? He's like, it's okay. We'll stop here at the inn. No room in the inn. They go to the, main, the stable. They have the baby in a manger. All of this happens. Why? Joseph has to obey the ordinary. He has to go through the difficulty. He has to go through the headache. Mary has to accompany all of it with him so that Jesus will be born in Bethlehem to fulfill the prophecies of the Messiah. And he has to be born in Bethlehem, and they have to stay there so that the Magi will be able to come and find them and offer their gifts. And, and all of this is working, and what we see is it's our obedience in the ordinary that positions us to be in the right place at the right time for God to ask us to do the extraordinary. See, obedience is a way of life. And as you keep reading Joseph's story, you see that, that he's ordinary in his obedience to this point, and then God shows up again and says, okay, you did the normal things, now let's do some extreme things again. So Matthew, go back to Matthew chapter 2. 
The wise men have come. They've offered their gifts to Joseph and Mary. On the way, they have uh, told Herod that they've come to worship the king of the Jews. Herod is super paranoid and super violent. He decides, you know what? If that's what might have happened, I'm just going to go to Bethlehem and I'm going to kill all the boys under two years old. An angel of the Lord, again, it says, comes to Joseph in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. It says, the angel appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord said through the prophet, out of Egypt I will call my son. So once again, we find Joseph obeying extraordinary instructions from God. And and again, this is one that I, I think we can kind of skip through really quickly. But I want you to think just for a moment about what is happening. Joseph has been told, your son will be the Messiah. Now, as a righteous Jew, Joseph knows the Messiah will restore the throne of David. And he will restore the nation of Israel to their power and glory. And all the nations will be blessed through him. He's aware of all of these things. He's heard them since he was a child. Now he has this child, and then wise men come from the east, royalty comes, and they bow down in worship to the king of the Jews that's been revealed to them in the stars. And it's got to be this really affirming moment to Joseph and Mary of, yes, the Lord is doing it. And they have the prophecies to hold on to from Simeon and Anna when they go to take Jesus to the temple, and and it really seems like there's a lot of positive momentum coming in their life. And then all of a sudden, an angel comes and says, Joseph, you got to leave for Egypt, and you have to leave now. And it's got to be a really confusing moment because Joseph is leaving the promised land for the land of slavery. He's leaving the land of freedom for the land of bondage. He's leaving the place where God has promised to establish the throne of David forever and going back to the throne of Pharaoh that Israel escaped from. In Joseph's mind, Egypt is only the place you come out of. It's not the place you go back to. And yet, here's an angel saying they're going to try to kill him. You have to get out of here, and you have to go to Egypt. And next week, we'll come back to this idea of of what does it mean when God takes us places we don't want to be to accomplish his purposes and his plans. But for this morning, think for just a moment about the extraordinary obedience of Joseph. And so he goes and he stays there. Then Matthew goes on to tell us in verse 19, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child as mother, and go back to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. So again, Joseph is leading his family by constantly listening to God's voice and obeying what God reveals to him. God used Joseph's obedience again and again and again to get Jesus in the right place at the right time to fulfill all of these Old Testament prophecies. And what what Joseph is showing us is, yes, there's extraordinary obedience when God interrupts our life. Yes, there's ordinary obedience in just the normal affairs of life. But what we're ultimately called to as followers of Christ is for obedience just to become a way of life. That obedience isn't a one-time event. It's not an exceptional circumstance. It's just, I obey every day. You obey every day. The the most common prayer that Angie and I have prayed for our children since they they were little tiny toddlers is God help them to hear your voice and do what you say. 
And, and we pray other prayers, but, but I mean, when they were little, we kind of, I don't know, the spirit led us, we stumbled onto it, however you want to phrase it, but came to this idea of, of all the prayers we pray as parents for God to protect, for him to, to oversee, for him to lead, to guide, to, to heal, to deliver, to direct, everything and more. It's all summed up in this really simple thing of, Lord, help my kids hear your voice and help them obey what you say to them. And that's what Joseph is modeling for us. It's just a lifestyle of, you know, I'm, I'm not seeking out extraordinary moves of God. I'm not asking him to require massive things of me. But if he does, I'll do it. And if he doesn't, I'll just be faithful with whatever he's called me to do right now. And his obedience in the ordinary passes down an inheritance of obedience to Jesus, who he's raising as his own son. I mean, every, think of your own family, you, your parents or you as a parent, you probably have stories you tell all the time. Right? They're just, they're kind of the anthems you go to. And some of them you tell just because they're funny. Others of them you tell because you're trying to teach a lesson. And some of them you tell just because you want to remember them. I was telling my, my daughter something a couple weeks ago, and she stopped me like in the middle of the first sentence <clears throat> and said, Dad, you've literally told me this like 20 times. I'm like, well, okay, clearly we're going to do 21 because I don't know how to start this and not finish it. So, so I'm going to tell it to you. So, so when you think of Jesus as a child, Jesus as a teenager, think for a moment, what are the stories his parents are telling him? I mean, Mary's clearly telling him of, so the angel came and told me I would be with child and you were conceived by the Holy Spirit. Right? And, and then Elizabeth confirmed it. And then Simeon and Anna confirmed it. And then God spoke. And then Joseph would jump in of, yeah, I thought your mom was crazy. And she came to me with this Holy Spirit stuff. And then I was sleeping one night and an angel showed up and said, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. So I took her in. And then he's led us and he's guided us. And they would tell him the story of, then we had to go to Bethlehem so we could pay more taxes. But when we were in Bethlehem, you were born. And then these wise men came and they offered gifts and they affirmed your royalty. And then God spoke to us again in a dream. And he told us we had to get out of Bethlehem because Herod was coming to kill all the boys under two years old. So we fled to Egypt and Jesus, we've told you about life in Egypt, and we've told you about how he showed up, and we had to find a home, we had to find a place to live, and dad had to find a way to work, and the Lord provided for us. And then after a time, we started to hear the reports back from Israel of the, the atrocities that had taken place in Bethlehem and the weeping of the mothers who'd lost their sons. And while we mourned with them, we were so thankful that God had spoken to preserve your life. And then once Herod died, God spoke again. He told us, all right, let's go back. And we've settled in Nazareth, and Jesus, here we are. And every step along the way, what would Jesus be hearing from his parents. God spoke and we obeyed. God spoke and we obeyed. God spoke and we obeyed. And then you see it even with Jesus after he's, his parents lose him in the temple. The little closing line Luke gives us is Luke chapter 2 is Jesus went home with him and with them and was obedient to them. And so even Jesus embraces obedience as a way of life. And later in life, as Jesus is called to suffer in extreme ways, as he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, if there's any way, let this cup be taken from me. Not my will, but your will be done. That's the inheritance of obedience that's been passed down to him from Joseph and Mary. One of just saying, Lord, I, I just surrender to you. And when you speak, my job is to obey. So, so parents, grandparents, I want to challenge you this morning the greatest legacy and inheritance you can leave to those coming behind you is that you are able to say, God speaks and I obey. 
It's greater than any amount of money. It's greater than any success. It's greater than a company or a home. It's greater than scholarship funds. If you can begin to model just this, hey, when we follow Jesus, he speaks to us and we hear his voice. And then we obey what he tells us. And, it, and again, I, I know sometimes we want to push back on that idea of obedience, of, man, t- for people to call me obedient, it sounds like I'm, I'm complacent or I'm compliant or I'm not willing to stand up for myself. But what the scriptures teach us is obedience and righteousness are two sides of the same coin. You cannot have one without the other. And so of all the funerals I've ever went to, I've never heard somebody get up and say, this man, you know what really defined him was he was really obedient. She was really obedient. But I, I've heard it said in another language. I've heard it said they were righteous, they were faithful, they were loyal, they heard God's voice, they did what he said, they sacrificed of themselves for the sake of the kingdom. And what do all of those things imply? Obedience. And what Joseph is modeling for us is just this idea of, hey, just, you just got to obey. And so this Advent, I don't know where you are in life. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're at the moment of the, the big, extraordinary obedience. Maybe God is calling you to lay down some plans that you've been chasing for years or even decades. Maybe he says, I know that was a career path your family always had. I know this is what you always wanted to do. I know this is what you've really been hustling hard after, but I'm going to ask you to lay that down. And if you're there, I want to encourage you, just trust him. Just walk down what he's showing you. But, but I think where most of us are this morning is we're just in a season of ordinary obedience. You know, when I look at the week that's coming for me, I... As far as I know, there are no angelic visitations on my horizon. It's not on my calendar. God hasn't. He can do it if he wants to, and if he does, I'll listen and I'll obey. But for the most part, I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning, and I'm going to do the things I do every week. I'm going to try to be faithful to the Lord. I'm going to try to be faithful to my wife. I'm going to try to be faithful as a father. I'm going to try to be a good pastor. I'm going to try to be a good friend. I'm going to try to invest in the things that God has given me the ability to invest in. I'm going to try to live with financial discipline, and I'm going to try to live with physical discipline, and I'm going to try to embrace the ups and the downs of every moment. And and most of what I'm going to try to do is just wake up every morning and say, Lord, help me hear your voice and obey what you say. And, And for most of us, There's not going to be an angel that says, okay, here's what you're going to do. But it's just going to be God through the still, small voice of the Spirit, through your regular reading of the Scriptures, through the responsibilities that God has already entrusted you with, just saying, okay, Lord, I'll obey. And if you're thinking, I don't don't even know what that would be, just go back to the last time God spoke to you and keep obeying that thing. So if he put you in this job, keep working that job with everything you have. If he put you in this degree program, keep studying with everything you got. And if, if when you're in this marriage, this is God's plan for you. So be all in and pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. And if you're in a season where just things are just pretty good and average, that's great, that's wonderful, embrace it and just keep doing the things that God has told you to do and understand your obedience in the ordinary positions you for when God wants to speak the extraordinary. And your obedience, it, it really compounds on itself. When you obey day after day and week after week and month after month and year after year, then when God does show up and ask you to do something that's way outside of your plans, it's a, it might be a big leap, but it's a natural leap. Because your obedience every day has been preparing you for your obedience in that moment. 
And every day you've been learning to trust that God leads, he guides, he provides. Every day you've been learning to hear his voice and do what he says. And then when he, when he does come with the big one, okay, let's change the career, let's change the major, let's move, let's do this, let's, instead of saving that, let's make this huge, huge gift, let's make this new investment, let's start this new project, let's invest in this new ministry, let's begin these new relationships. When he speaks, then you're ready to say, okay, let's go. And you do it with confidence and you do it with faith. Then the, the last thing I think we see from Joseph's life is this idea of obedience all the way to the end. So I said Joseph is he's one of the unsung heroes, so we find him in Matthew 1 and 2, and then you find him in Luke 1 and 2. The last time we find Joseph is in Luke chapter 2, and it's, it's really not the most flattering picture of him. So Jesus is 12 years old. His family has returned to Jerusalem for one of the festivals, and uh, Mary and Joseph, they're traveling with a large group of their family, and as they begin to leave Jerusalem to go back to Nazareth, they travel for a whole day before they realize they don't have Jesus with them. Now, kind of a bad idea to lose the Son of God when that's your only job in life, right? But they lose him, and then it says they go back to Jerusalem. It takes them three full days to find their son. Can you imagine the panic of Mary and Joseph? Of like, we had one job, and we've completely blown it. And when we, when we last see Joseph, he's interacting with 12-year-old Jesus, and Jesus is telling him, well, didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? And then it says he goes back home with them, and he lives in obedience to them. And we never see Joseph again. Now, as, as we read through the rest of the Gospels, we get the picture that Joseph probably died at some point either in Jesus' teenage years or in his early adult years. Because by the time Jesus begins his public ministry, Joseph is never mentioned. So we find Jesus teaching at one point and his brothers come because there's a crowd pressing in. His brothers come to get him because they think he's lost his mind. If Joseph was still alive, he probably would have been there with them saying, boys, no, it's okay. Let me tell you what the angel said but it's just his brothers. And so we think probably Joseph has died by that point. And then we're, we're certain Joseph has died by the time Jesus is crucified. Because as Jesus hangs on the cross, he looks down and he sees his mother, Mary, there. And he speaks to one of the disciples and he says, son, this is now your mother. Mother, this is now your son. Implying you're going to take my mom into your home and you're going to take care of her. Which is only possible if Joseph isn't there to provide for Mary as a husband. So, so what does that mean for us? It means Joseph never saw the end result of his obedience. In all likelihood, Jesus never heard Jesus teach before the crowds. He never got to see him interact with the religious leaders. He didn't see him as he began to gather this band of disciples and begin to preach that the kingdom is here. Joseph never saw a blind man come to Jesus and Jesus place his hands on his eyes and that man's eyes open wide and fill with tears and proclaim, I can see. Joseph never saw someone who was oppressed by demons and tormented and it had tormented their entire family set free in a moment by the prayers of the one he had raised as his own son. He never got to sit on the mountainside and hear him teach and wonder where dinner was coming from. And then watch him break out the loaves and the fishes and everyone eat until there's 12 basketfuls of leftovers. He didn't get to see the events of Palm Sunday when Jesus rode in on a donkey and the crowds were throwing their palm branches and their coats before him and crying out, Hosanna, you're the savior, you're the one who's come. He wasn't there when Jesus was arrested. 
He didn't see it when the disciples abandoned him. He wasn't there by Mary when Jesus was crucified. He wasn't there when they carried him into the tomb and he wasn't there three days later when the tomb was empty and when Jesus came out and interacted with him. Joseph never got to see what the disciples did after the ascension of Jesus. He never witnessed the day of Pentecost. He never saw the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He never saw the church established all through Israel and around the world. He never saw miracles being done in the name of Jesus by the followers of Jesus. He never saw the same things Jesus had done through his own hands now being done through the hands of those. He never experienced the indwelling presence of the Son of God in his life. And there's just a, a little part of me and maybe a little part of you that, that feels sorry for Joseph. It's kind of a ripoff. He put in all the work, but didn't get to enjoy any of the reward. But again, it's a reminder to us, sometimes your obedience is not just for you. God may be calling you to obey in ways today that you will never experience the fullness of the reward. And what we should actually begin to pray is that he will do it. Because it means he's attaching our story to his story. And he's inviting us to invest our time and our energy, our resources in ways that will make a difference for generations after we're gone. As the gospel goes around the world, as Thomas takes it to India, as Paul takes it to Rome, there are men and women whose lives are changed, who are set free from demonic oppression and bondage, who find real life in Christ, and they maybe never know the name or the story of Joseph. But they know the power of the work of Christ. And this is the ultimate goal of our obedience. It's not that we see the fruit of all of our labor, but it's that we're faithful with whatever God has asked us to do. And he takes our faithfulness and he attaches it to his story and he uses it and you're gonna see some of it and you're gonna be blessed by it. But what I really, really believe is when we're obedient to the Lord in the ordinary and the extraordinary, it makes a generational difference some of which we will witness and much of which we will not. This January, during our, our Kingdom Builder series, we're gonna talk through some of those ideas of how we, we are all the result of those who have gone before us. And I'm gonna share some stories and some of the men who've been really influential in my life, they're gonna come and, and share the things that they've taught me. But what I know is what they've built in me, others built in them. And the same is true for you. Your obedience is never just about you. But when you're obeying what Jesus calls you, it's about his kingdom, it's about his glory, and it's about him working through you to change the world around you while you're here and after you're gone. So if you'll stand with me, I wanna pray for you this morning, and then the band's gonna come back and they're gonna lead us. In that song they, they sang earlier, just inviting the spirit to lead us. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Jesus, we come today, and I pray first of all, Lord, if there's anyone in the room or online who has not started their relationship with you, I ask today that you would come and interrupt their life with the voice of your Holy Spirit. Jesus, come and show yourself as the one who is calling them out of darkness and into life. Reveal your path as the one where they will find hope, joy, life, and love. And Jesus, I pray for those who are here today who are walking with you. Lord, may we be people of obedience. God, our prayer today is very simple. Help us to hear your voice, 
and obey what you speak. So Holy Spirit, we, we come today inviting your presence in our life. You see our worries and our concerns. You see the spaces where we need clarity and direction. You see the path we're walking and you see the path you want us to walk. So Spirit, we invite you not just into the room, but into our hearts and into our minds, into our lives and into our circumstances. We invite you into our relationships. We invite you into our jobs. We invite you into our school. We invite you into our plans for this week, this month, and this year. Holy Spirit, we invite you into every area of our life where we think we have control, and we ask that you will speak and we will obey. Lord, we just pray this prayer of surrender individually and together. Will you come and speak? Give us the ability to hear and the desire to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.